I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, I'm your host Dan, back again with another episode. We're covering Chapter 2 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. Anna's back again. Hi! And I think think we each had some thoughts. (laughs) And... and I, for one, I'll get to it a little bit later, but I, for one, definitely had some some strong reactions that I don't think I was really expecting reading this chapter. So, you know, we'll get there uh, when we get there. Um, but the chapter starts out with this news coming over the TV about an escaped convict. And <laughs> we find out that... Is he going to be important? I wonder... I don't know. Vernon makes a big deal of it. Like, we don't know where he escaped from. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. We do understand that Vernon is pro-hanging. That we learn. Yeah. Um, I've, I I guess there's really no reason to keep it for the spoiler section. But part of me wonders if that's more about J.K. Rowling than it is about Vernon. Because this is not her only book where she has a character who's, like, really pro-hanging and makes a big deal out of it. I don't know if you've read any of the Cormor and Strike books. I haven't. And yeah. from what I've heard, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so again, J.K. Rowling. Whoa. Pull some weird things for some weird characters sometimes. But yeah, anyway. That, yeah, that, then we'll leave it there. <laughs> uh, so um, anyway, th- this whole thing circles around like, our Aunt Marge is coming to visit. And Harry immediately dreads every moment of it because his experiences have not been great. And Vernon creates this whole persona of you're going to be going to St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. Which, reading that, like Harry, I'm like, that's a mouthful. How are you supposed to look for that? I'm like, you. Okay. And they have this back and forth of... Being like, well, I have this permission slip that I need signed. Which that I had a whole bunch of different feelings about, too. Like, at the one part, it's, like, so hairy and, like, so, like, say I see little Harry being like, that's a lot to remember. And, like, it's just, like, a great, like, him moment and the way his brain works. But also, like, how horrible is this? He's a 13-year-old boy needing to negotiate the signing of a permission that they form have zero and his care about card to play is pretending to be an incurably criminal boy. Yep. And was beaten. Well, Vernon then goes on and threatens to physically harm him yeah. if he doesn't behave or he doesn't fall in line or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so in the first couple of pages, we got hanging and we got threatening violence against a child. And that's like... Lovely. Like, just baseline for this chapter. So much violence in this chapter. Anna, that's the tame part of this chapter. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That's the horrifying bit of this chapter. I know. There's Um, a reason I asked to talk to you about this chapter. It's like, it's always used as such like a comedic type of like funny moment in these books. It's 
horrible, a horrible, horrible, horrible part of Harry's story. Right. Yes. Um, so this description of Mark, large, beefy, even a mustache. Great okay, you know what? visual My image. First thought reading that visual image again. We all, like, okay, you know I hate the Prisoner of Azkaban movie. One of the spot-on things this movie did for children of the 90s, they casted Ms. Trunchbull as Aunt Marge. Well done. Anyway. Which, which is great because of the movie, I think this scene might be uh, objectively... It might be the worst scene in the movie for me after reading this chapter. I never thought that until reading this chapter again. And it goes back to what we said in the era of Slytherin. It's like a movie is there. Are, you can misdo a scene. You can fudge some facts about a scene or a quote or whatever, but you still get the idea, the gist. Mm -hmm. If you change the tone mm -hmm. of what the source material wanted to get across, now you're starting to change the material in maybe a not so supportive way. Yeah. And reading this chapter again, like you just said, it turns it into a comedic thing. Yeah. When it's really not. And, and yeah. we'll, we'll get there. No, it's really not. Um, but before we get into the, the, the real meat of this large beefy woman. Uh, <laughs> I like what you just did there. Thank you. Um, I just want to just point out, and this has no bearing, and we will spend very little to no time on this, but can I just mention the name Colonel Fubster? I also had that in my notes. What a name. What a name. Oh, that is just brilliance. Just brilliance. Fubster. Literally. F-U-B-S-T-E-R. Fubster. Do you kind of imagine him looking like Colonel Mustard? <laughs> I mean, you can't really not, given the name. Just, yeah. It, it's... Like, you hear that, and you're just like, so you're talking about a fake person. Like, you're not, that's not a real, he, whatever. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, um, let's, let's get into this Aunt Marge experience. And I guess just to kind of start this off, look, I haven't read Prisoner of Azkaban in a very long time. A very long time. And I don't really remember, you know, I talked about experiences like reading it on the beach in Florida and reading it with my grandma and stuff like that. But some of these I don't really remember. And then in that intervening time of when I last read it to now, my adult self, things have happened. Life has happened. You go through ups and downs and roller coasters and that whole bit. And I got to tell you, I was not expecting to have such a visceral emotional reaction to this chapter. But some of the stuff that's communicated, and I am not going to do it justice by saying these quotes that I'll say in a little bit. I, I don't really want you to do it justice. I don't, don't want to do it justice. have it in you to say these types of things. Yeah. But when I read them and I... Put myself like I've always done reading these books in Harry's shoes, and I'm experiencing this world through him. This hits me. Some of these quotes and some of these things that Aunt Marge is projecting onto Harry hits me in a different way now, having been through life a little bit, than it ever did when I was a child. Luckily, 
I am blessed with a family that was not like Vernon and Petunia, so I didn't grow up like Harry. However, once you experience the world, getting out into the world, meeting a bunch of different people, working at different jobs, uh, you do meet some people. Mm -hmm. And they are not the greatest people. And for me, um, I had a job experience a couple years ago that was not pleasant. And the, my boss at this location plainly was very verbally and emotionally abusive daily, multiple times a day. To the point where I'm like, do I even want to keep doing this? Not just working there. Like, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing for a career? Do I want to, is this right for me? And all these things. It was a very real moment. So when I read quotes like, I can see you haven't improved. Rotten on the inside. Forget the abusive comments she has for the potters. Like, his parents. When I read these types of quotes, I'm like, I now know what it feels like to be verbally and emotionally abused regularly. It's not a fun experience. And it does have lasting impact. And it does have lasting scars. And reading this, I'm just like, oh, this hits me in just a completely different way than it used to. And it kind of had me coming back to some of those moments sure. uh, that I experienced in my life. And I'm like, how does Harry, like he, we talked about him being an idiot at times, him being hot-headed, him getting himself into trouble. He deserves sainthood for not reacting more than he does. Well, and, and he doesn't really even react. I get yeah. what happens is what happens, but that's not necessarily a conscious decision on his part. That's right. more of his magic manifesting yeah. uh, through intense emotion. Mm -hmm. But And how does he not have intense emotion? No one could withstand that. And to the point of, and the, the view that I even got out of this was, even the Dursleys, even Petunia and Vernon were like, this is a bit much, you need to, we need to change Roll the subject. Randy. Like, time out. Time out, because this is going in a bad them. You just had him threatening to hit this child, not, what, paragraphs ago? And they're like, whoa, whoa, let's change the subject. Did you see that guy on the TV? Oh, man. That's a sign of how, if it's too much for the Dursleys, you're getting a sense of Marge is a horrible, despicable, awful human being. Yeah. And I have a hot take in the spoilers. We'll get to spoilers, but I have a hot take for you in the spoilers. Okay. So that's my two cents on this chapter and, and of Marge. Um, but, uh, I, and I'll just go through some of the other descriptions. You're claiming potters were jobless drunks, drowning a small puppy because it was the runt of the litter. Drowned a puppy is what they say in the book. A weak, Look it up. Ratty. Yep. And forget forget just the idea, because I know Molly particularly is just going to annihilate Marge for that sentiment. Well, also, how many studies in the world show that cruelty to animals like that are a sign of psychopathy and antisocial yes. personality disorder and just like a whole bunch of like 
warning signs this woman should not be around children. Absolutely. Ever. And she's been around Harry all his life. And aside from all of that, which is bad enough on many infinite levels, the secondary part of it is just the blatant injustice of it all. Because yes, he's a little bit more scrawny than he should be. Yes, he's smaller than he should be. Why? Because he's been abused. He's been malnourished his entire life. By your family. That's not his fault. How about fault. the line, it all comes down to blood. Bad blood will out. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, how about the blood of your family? Like, thank God you're not having children of your own. Uh, the woman is an honest nightmare. She's like like a fat mogul Voldemort, like, but crueler in her psychology. Like, she uses emotional and verbal abuse instead of actual murder. She's, yeah. And uh, look, <laughs> the old adage of, you know, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt me. I don't like that. I adage. don't like it either because I've never liked that adage. words can hurt and they can hurt deep. Oh, they can and they hurt can hurt for a long time. Bones heal. Exactly. I'm in the medical profession. Six to eight weeks, you should be good. You know, unless it's a really bad break, but still, a couple months, that'll heal. Words can hurt you for a long, long time. And sometimes certain words from certain people can have wounds that destroy never heal. you. They can absolutely yeah. destroy you. So, you know, it, you know, Harry longs for anything with his parents. Lily or James, just longing to be with them, to experience them. And then this woman comes out with, if there's something wrong with the bitch, there is something wrong with the pup. Direct quote. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Not great. So... I mean, I think it's a credit to Harry that all that happens to Marge. Uh, she blows up like a giant, you know, balloon. I mean... A person like like Credence, we talked a lot on the last episode about Obscurus's. How does his magic not just unleash into just completely annihilating that room and, you know, shards of glass or something just like go straight in there? Like, it says more about Harry than I think, you know, maybe. As much as I have criticized Harry, this is a true moment where his durability to withstand such an assault is otherworldly. It just makes me so much more angry though because he shouldn't have that durability. Like it just speaks even more to the first 13 years of his life. I I just no child should ever be left in a household like that. Never. There is no reason and that's something I would want to talk more about in the spoiler section. But I just, uh, and then I, I have that moment of what Harry does next, where he's just like, screw it. I'm getting my stuff. I'm going, Harry said, I've had enough. Yep. And then Vernon tries to get in his way or stop him or whatever. And he points a wand right at him. And it's that moment. But Vernon doesn't go after him to like protect him no, or see if he's right. okay. Help, it's help Marge. Put her yeah. right. Yeah. F you. Your sister doesn't deserve to right. get put right. So that wand to the face. I, I I can't emphasize 
enough. And I have a couple of these moments throughout the series, but this is one particularly where I'm like, heck yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you put your foot down. It's like, that's not, except line has been crossed. I don't care anymore. Like, I don't care about Hogwarts. I don't care about the magical world. This is a whole other line that's been crossed. Not cool with it. Some Someone's going to have to pay for this. And if you step on me again, you are going to pay for this. It's it's one of those big, like, put your foot down moments. Calming down for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Calming down for a second. Uh, I did do a little bit of a deeper dive. Oh, okay. And I know JK has a troubled past. Mm-hmm. Uh, her childhood, herself, not the greatest. Yeah. And some of that does bleed through the writing. Sure. Some of it more obvious than others. And that's her fine. first marriage also. Oh, yes. Not also great. not great. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, like, this character is so awful. Is it based on anybody in her... Oh, it is, isn't it? It is. I forgot about that. Her maternal grandmother is what I found online. So, again, you're free to double check me on this. But from what I found, it was based on her maternal grandmother. And the only quote that I've seen associated with it is seemed to care about her dogs more than actual human beings. Mm. And that was the quote that was associated with that uh, analogy. I got to tell you, um, if anything is ever written about me, and that's the character that's portrayed, I have not lived a good life. Like, I have not done what I even needed to do in my life. Well, don't you kind of hope her maternal grandmother was alive to see that that is... The legacy it's a that damning she left. Portrayal yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I have talked a lot. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Oh, well, no, I think um, you, you know, spoke very eloquently on just how awful a person Aunt Marge is. One thing I definitely think, so you, I kind of threw out the quote when you were talking about like how the Dursleys are trying to distract her and they were realizing, you know, she's taking too far. This isn't okay. And Vernon's response is the more brandy, whatever alcohol it is that they're drinking. Mm -hmm. I like it just the role of alcohol in this whole situation. Children of alcoholics probably not probably they do endure this type of cruelty every single day. And when you were talking about, the visceral reaction this brought up for your memories as an adult and that awful uh, supervisor you had who abused you that way. Can you imagine kids reading this? Like Harry is 13 years old. Abuse affects us as adults, like you were describing. Mm -hmm. What type of scars does Harry left as a child? And what... What type of feelings do the kids also endure in that type of abuse who are reading Harry Potter, who are reading this scene, how are they feeling? And then how did they feel when all this scene has ever been used for? I know I keep going back to it, but comedic effect. Yeah. Nothing about any of this is funny. It's just not. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not being as eloquent as you were. I don't. No, it's um, just, it it just struck me in a different way. Like I, and I, it took me by surprise because I I knew 
generally like I remember Aunt Marge isn't great and I remember blah 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 blah. So she also had the line, if you'd been left on my doorstep, it would have been straight to the orphanage with you. Yeah. Who is this woman? She tells him when she walks in, I think the first thing she says to Harry, oh, you're still here? Where's a 13-year-old child supposed to have gone? Excellent. Yeah. Those couple of quotes that you just threw out there were continuing excellent examples of just things you shouldn't be telling. I don't care. I just don't. You shouldn't be saying those things to people. To another human being. How is she a human being? It's, yeah, it's terrible. And I know, I, look, I know on the podcast, this is, this is a Harry Potter podcast. I know it's I supposed know. to be fun and uplifting and, and stuff Coffee, like that. pretty dark. Yeah, and I, and I know that. And, and for those that are listening, they're like, oh, man, this is a downer. Apologies. Um, but, you know, we're just trying to kind of say our own experiences reading this book. And, you know, it's being real. Um, and, yes, there's a lot about Harry Potter that, it makes me happy. That makes me joyous. It makes me want to keep coming back to this series and this book over and over and over again. But there are also parts that create sadness and create some not so happy memories and some not so great moments, um, which for better or for worse is great writing from JK to invoke emotion. It is a testament to her writing that just words on a page can invoke such a visceral reaction in me. I'll give her that. It's one of the reasons that I like one of the other books later in the in the series is because I don't like it, but I like that I. Do. It's weird. It's a complicated. It's a complicated relationship. But um, is it emo? Would you say all of it is? Yes, <laughs> everything about it is yes. Uh, but no. So uh, apologies for a. Uh, downer note on it but um i think a lot of it has to be said so what else did you have okay well maybe to try it's not you know necessarily a positive note but it's not as like who dark downer as we've been so far mm-hmm. poor choice by jk rowling to have marge breed bulldogs just gonna throw that out there because bulldogs, I feel like even JK, if I remember correctly, JK has even come out and said it was a poor choice. Because, okay, like, I'm not a dog lover. I don't really know much about dogs. But to me, bulldogs are Winston Churchill. I was just about to say, like, you want to put, again, my tinfoil hat theory on? And bulldogs could be an allegory for, like, England? Or, like... But that's what you know, I mean. And so you're yeah. going to make... The allegory for England associated with this woman. I believe she does have her roots in Scotland. Yes. Oh, touche. Woohoo! <laughs> JK, look at you. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess that's my point done for. <laughs> yeah. I love Winston Churchill, so. Um, okay, well, okay. There's layers to that. There's... Never mind. <laughs> Uh, we do love our history and our geography here, Anna and I, and uh, we are very apt in the history of Scotland and England, and yeah. they don't like each other. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Sean Connery! That's Dumbledore. Anyway. Bringing it back. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of the chapter in a nutshell. Uh, it's a lot of Aunt Marge. If only there was a chocolate cake, you know, like Miss Trunchbull had. 
or Dobby to just like float a cake. That's all I'm going to do. That's going to be my happiness to bring to this episode. It's bringing it back to Matilda. Fair enough. The spoiler section, for the record, will have some happier topics. We have some Secrets of Dumbledore stuff that we didn't get to in the last one because we ran super long, so we will talk a little bit about that. And yeah, we have a couple other fun things to kind of throw out there and discuss. So um, yeah, I guess we'll be back in the spoiler section. Oh, enjoy this wonderful... I didn't get to advertise this break sound last time. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, we were remiss in thanking Drew. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Drew, to have uh, done such a great job on our opening of Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban and kind of cutting and editing this. Uh, Drew will shout you out on Instagram as well. And um, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, this quote is something that Anna says to me frequently, so I hope you enjoy it. Wow. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We get we argue all the time, but we actually get along very well. So we promise. Anyway, we're headed to the spoilers section. You, you foul loads of them evil little cockroach. All right, we are back from Anna's repeated insults to me, and again, I kid, I kid, I kid. He's uh, so mean to me, you guys. So I know I promised that this is going to be a happier section, but we're going to start off. <laughs> Back at some some of the negatives from this Aunt Marge chapter, and uh, well, you you go first with what you had because you had the bigger idea. I just had some smaller stuff. It's not. I don't know how big of an idea it is. It's more of a question. I just want to put out there because I said in the non spoiler section, I very strongly believe there is no reason, none whatsoever, to keep a child in this environment. Dursley's environment, particularly the Marge environment. Mm -hmm. So, spoiler section, my question is, is Lily's blood protection really worth this? I mean, to what degree do Harry's wizarding loved ones, Dumbledore, the Weasleys, Hagrid, Hermione, all of them know the Dursleys do not treat Harry well. At this point, I'm sorry, they have a certain responsibility for this continued abuse of Harry. So, like, and Dumbledore's big reason for continuing to send him back here is Lily's blood match. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I don't. I don't think about to answer my own question. I don't think it's worth it. Especially with where we're at in his life and where Voldy is at this period. I could maybe get, like, later, like book four on where he's now back and it's a more viable threat. But even think about it, they find a level of protection for him in Deathly Hallows after the blood magic breaks. Yeah. So why couldn't that have been a nope, thing? you're right. Um, I do have a comment about that, uh, but it kind of brings us back to our secrets of Dumbledore, which we can get into right now, that's fine. Uh, McGonagall. We forgot to uh. talk about McGonagall in our last episode. And we both had some issues with how McGonagall's been used yes. and, and things like that. Um, but in the context of what you had just said, going back to book one, chapter one, and McGonagall mm -hmm. saying, like, these are awful people. Yeah. That's her observing for I don't know how long, but I can't imagine, like, a terribly long not time. Not even a full day. Yeah. yeah. He's like, these are awful people. Are we sure we want to do this? And I'm thinking about it of just, like, this is kind of McGonagall's motherly aspect uh -huh. coming through. And even though she has 
no discernible connection to this baby other than knowing Lily and James. Um, that love and that caring spot in her heart that she has for her students mm -hmm. or for those she takes under her wing in one form or another um, kind of shines through. Um, so that's McGonagall tying back to what you were saying. Uh, and one of the reasons why I'm sure you love Minnie, as you call her. Um, but in terms of Secrets of Dumbledore, I had issues initially with her usage in Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah. yeah. Like, A, why is she there? And then I, then I did some thinking. I did some actual thinking and I did some math, which I know surprises many people. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, okay. Crimes of Grindelwald takes place in what? Let's say... let's 27 and 28. All right. So for math's sake, let's round it up to 1930. Okay. The Harry Potter movies take place in the 1990s. So that's roughly a 60-year gap. Mm -hmm. So she's roughly, let's say, 20-ish in the Crimes of Grindelwald? Yeah, I can see that. So roughly she'd be 80-ish? Which is not how she's described, I don't believe, when the spells hit her. In or where in the spelling section? Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In Order of the Phoenix. Uh, don't they say that she's more in her, like, 60s? Maybe. But I guess Maybe my, I just imagine. But I guess my anyway, point is, yeah. it's technically it's doable. feasible. It's fine, yeah. It, it can make sense. It's a viable storyline. Yeah. yeah. So I reacted gut-wise to it. When I play it out, there is wiggle room to make that make sense. Mm -hmm. Fine. Okay, I'll give you that one. But um, I guess that's my version of a retraction. <laughs> like, I'll take that one back, I guess. I'll give you that one. Um, now, how did you, as a fan of McGonagall, um, see her in Secrets of Dumbledore? I hated it. I mm. was very upset. And, but I blame it more on, like, a continued blast on the creators of these films. Like, I feel like they don't know. Okay, I get it. McGonagall is, like, very early in her teaching years. She's not the seasoned, you know, sure. veteran that we see in the Harry Potter books. But never in any any age, any part of her life do I see Minerva McGonagall using the magic that she used in Secrets of Dumbledore on a student. She, she like, crimes, muted crimes them, right? She did that in Crimes of Grindelwald. The student... Was it? Yeah. The student runs and... Oh, right, right, right. It paddle. was the flashback for Newton and Lita. Sorry, and I watched them yeah. so close together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Crimes of Grindelwald, I guess, then. Fine. No, but, I agree like, with that's you. That's just not yeah. who McGonagall sure. is. And then, like, okay, fine. She came and found Dumbledore in, in Secrets of Dumbledore at the Hogshead. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like they're doing much with her. I feel like they're just trying to insert a beloved character into the series to give us some more heart I agree in the with series. That. And I wish they wouldn't. I agree with that. Kind of like McClagan and Travers and little yeah. tidbits that they gave you in Crimes. Uh, my issue with McGonagall in this one was, uh, well, the age difference between Albus and her seems off in this one. Because Albus is older, like what? Would you say like 30s, 40s, seems like? He should be somewhere in his 40s. Yeah. And she's very young. I'm just like, is that that big of an age gap? I never thought of it as that big of an age gap. Oh, I did. 
But she looks at it as a very subservient to him, in a way. Like, I know she's already put him up on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, but, like, oh, you mind taking my classes? Yeah. Like, like just, uh, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, someone's going to have to take my classes. You got this? All right. <laughs> like, cool. I don't know that fits to me. Like, I don't know. It's like you said, McGonagall always had him up on this pedestal. Yeah. Like, I feel, in my mind, she's kind of like an Albus Dumbledore fangirl. Yes. Yes. So, like, and yeah. she knows he's out there in the broader world fighting some some demons. So, like... Which also, sh- like, the other thing about this, and it's maybe too subtle, but they do nod to respect of a very young McGonagall when Aberforth is like, didn't you read the sign? Sod off. Oh, yeah. And then he comes back and he's like, sorry about that, Minerva. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, my you're bad. so right. That was, that was a pretty good moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, even though she's young, she's clearly earned respect right. and adoration of older, more established wizards, even though, you know, Aberforth is doing what he's doing, but he's still obviously commands a little bit of respect. Right. So um, that was a, just an interesting kind of moment. Uh, where they just give her a nod of like, my bad, didn't mean to do that. Apologies. Where <laughs> when does Aberforth ever apologize for anything? <laughs> like never. Okay. But he apologizes to her. So it was just a little nod to her kind of prominence. Mm-hmm. But again, maybe too subtle because I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, that was kind of my McGonagall take. What else did we have? Oh, we also had speaking of the Hog's Head, uh, Albus spending a good amount of time. In front of Ariana's portrait. Yeah. Which. It was good. I felt good. I yeah. felt like that was needed. Oh, yeah. Uh, for everybody. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the character of Dumbledore. Like, it seemed like when we get the interactions with Aberforth in mm-hmm. the seventh book, it seems like they're so far estranged, which they aren't. You, you, you know they're communicating because yeah. obviously they communicate. Yeah. But you get the portrayal from him of like Albus is a jerk you know he's never he thinks he's too good for me thinks he's too good for you know whatever blah 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 well Everforth clearly never like really completely heals you no know. but you also never really you never see Albus in the hogshead you never see him talking to Everforth here you get a little bit more of that relationship yes. building mm-hmm. um for better or for worse you see Everforth giving him a ton of, you know, stuff back. Adam, um, which we were talking about, like, how Albus might appreciate that and the realism of it. Right. He's not fanboying Albus. He's like, nope, I'm giving it to you how I see it because I don't care about you. I don't care about And he clearly needs that because when he didn't have that, that's when he was pushed into the arms of Grindelwald. Right. So. Right. So it it was kind of an interesting an interesting kind of dynamic uh, between those characters and him in that portrait, uh, which I thought was just a good moment. Um, Yeah. I also liked with Albus him seeing a former student in Theseus and seeing him as more of a peer than a student. And I think Albus is really good at, well, we know he's really good at eyeing talent. He knows talent when he sees it. Yes. Possibly even more so than Slughorn. But, like, what does that say about Theseus, though, that, like, Albus doesn't just see him as the student anymore? Which I think he still kind of does to Newt. Like, he even gave the three points to Hufflepuff for Newt. But, like, 
he treats Theseus like a, an equal. That's that's pretty big. That says a lot about Theseus, which again, just wish we got more, more of him. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, okay. Um, I know we like got off topic back on to We got secrets of Denver. Uh Bringing back <laughs> just really, really quickly, because this is a spoiler section, obviously the convict that escaped in the woo, TV woo. is one serious black, um, which got a really interesting uh, description of very, very gaunt. Which and, makes sense. Which makes a lot of sense. And elbow length hair. Gross. Which is gross, yes. Uh, <laughs> agreed. Uh, so... But I, I did want to bring this up because in my conversations with a lot of Harry Potter fans that don't like Gary Oldman's portrayal mm. in the movies, mm-hmm. people are always thinking back to the Marauder version of Sirius where he's like young, handsome, and it's like, this is a different Sirius Black. This is one that's been through some stuff for a long time. See, that was never my issues with Gary Oldman's portrayal. Was oh, it the tats? Black. Well, I hated the tats. It was just... You didn't think a Dementor is sitting there, like, inking up Sirius Black? And, uh, like... No, no, I did not. <laughs> but, no, Gary Oldman's part issues for me were more... I don't know, I just didn't believe him as Sirius Black. That, that just wasn't... I, I got... Oh, I think he delivers the important lines well. Like, well, because he's a good actor. Right, 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 right. Sirius Black... Would never put his hand on Harry's heart. I mean, like, the ones we truly love never leave us. Like, that's just, uh, it's not how Sirius Black rolls. We get... Not that Sirius Black doesn't talk about his loved ones and doesn't maybe, like, you know, necessarily He doesn't have a heart. That. It's not that he's, like, a cold, obviously, soulless man. Obviously. I'm, I'm not saying any of those I like Sirius Black. I'm just, like, he's not the, the like, cuddly, touchy-feely type. I don't know. But I think he sees something in Harry... I mean, obviously yeah, he sees James. He sees, but also he was there when Harry. What? It's not like he doesn't yeah. have any relationship with Harry on any level. He knows well, Harry right. as a baby. Yeah. So to say that there's no actual love or caring for Harry, you know, we don't see a, we don't get a lot of that version of Sirius or James for that matter. We don't get a large snippet of them as like adults. We yeah. see most of them as like students. Or like that, like that age. Well, there wasn't a very long portion for them to be at oh, all. That's there was, very what, true. Like four years. Of that's I, that's very true. But the fact remains, it's a very small <laughs> snippet of adulthood for them. So it's like we don't really know how they grew from these kids to clearly fully mature adult. Yes, they had their moments of. Because they can are. Can we bring it back to like the scars and such that cruelty and childhood can leave? And then can we think about Sirius's childhood with, all we ever sure. hear are the portrait version of sure. his mother. Sure. Can we imagine what the real woman was Oh, yeah. Like? No. I, so I just, I think maybe he's just a product of But that's him. also yeah. him looking back at Harry and being like, what you have dealt with. Right. Yeah. And him having that connection of like, yeah. no, no, no. I, I am like your last, I guess, family member, like real family member left, like not including Petunia. It's like, I'm it from your, like, mm-hmm. wizarding family. I think he takes on a lot of that kind of role of, yeah, like, you need of this course. figure He's in your life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We got off on a really I know random we did. Like, sorry, This yeah. is also, like, a lot that we can talk about more throughout this podcast. Yeah, we really don't need to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. 
We um, were talking about, hey, him being on the TV as a convict. Yeah, the, the point was, like, I, I've heard a lot of complaints about his physical appearance in the movies. Yeah. And it's like, the, the point is, Azkaban is not a pleasant place. It's not a four-star, yeah. five-star resort. It takes something from you. The only reason he said he kept his sanity was because he knew he was innocent and he could transform into a dog. Yeah. So, um, Sears Black. Obviously, big part of this book. <laughs> we'll get more into him later. Uh, Julie's a big fan, so I'm sure Julie, when she comes on, we'll talk a lot about him. The other uh, couple of things I wanted to talk about, really quick, my hot take, I guess. Oh, yeah. My hot take is... You know how they say for, like, boxers or fighters, it's, like, pound for pound, like, the best fighter. Like, you might be 160 pounds, and you might not be able to beat the guy that's 250 pounds, but pound for pound, you're a good fighter, you know? Chapter for chapter. (laughs) Paragraph for paragraph. However you want to define it. Marge might be the worst character in the series. Mm. Like, like soul, (laughs) humanity, chapter for chapter. We only get the one chapter of her. Yeah. Yeah, she never comes back ever again. Thank so, God. And we get a ton of Oldie, and we get a ton of Umbridge. Mm-hmm. And those are usually the two universal picks for who's worse. Marge really needs well, she, to be in this conversation. She should definitely be a contender. Oh, yeah. And she only gets the one chapter, but she makes a dent. Yeah. I mean, she really puts it on you in one chapter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we're doing the whole, you know, pound for pound, chapter by chapter thing, I think she's got a shot at this. Yeah. So, she might not be as... I don't know if I put her ahead of Umbridge. If she had the power that Umbridge ever... If she had the power that she had, do you think she'd abuse it like she did? I think so. Oh, yeah. Obviously, she would abuse her power. I... I mean, it's definitely... I definitely think it's more of a fight between... Umbridge and Marge than Marge and Voldemort. I would want to face off against Voldemort over Marge any day. Wow. Wow. Big words. Hot takes. I love hot takes. (laughs) Um, No, but it's an interesting conversation. And after this chapter, I think people shove her to the side because she's a brief character. But my goodness, she leaves a mark. Yeah, she does. Speaking of leaving marks, we've kind of talked off podcast about the idea of Harry being a Horcrux and Horcruxes in general. We've talked about on the podcast Mm -hmm. about different powers, different abilities, different traces they leave around them. Uh, For example, the locket um, kind of deepens any anger, fear, anxiety, insecurities, insecurities, all negative things. And it just amplifies Mm -hmm. The, the diary, obviously, if you've hung with us for yeah. Chamber of Secrets, you know the effects of that. About, yeah. So there's different levels to these Horcruxes. So Harry being one himself, does he have any impact on the Dursleys around him negatively? And the reason this is brought up is before people just start yelling at me. <laughs> Again. Um, you, Anna, actually showed me an article or a, a series of tweets or something like that where it makes that argument. Mm-hmm. It's like, are the Dursleys really that bad? Right. Harry's a Horcrux. Horcruxes are known to have adverse effects on people around them. Maybe the Dursleys are just... Not saying they're good. They're bad. Right. Obviously, those Horcruxes amplified Ampl- something that was yes. already in them. Right, right, right. 
Not saying the grizzlies are, are good. Bad people, yeah. Right. It's just amplified. Right. Um, and I was actually talking to Molly about this today. Hi, Molly, if you're listening. Hi. Uh, so I was talking to this about uh, with Molly today about this her thoughts on this. She said she doesn't buy that theory. And here's why. Okay. A, the Dursleys are terrible people to begin with. Yes. So there's already that inherent level. Two, wouldn't that also mean that Harry would have adverse effects on Ron, who he spends mm-hmm. an unbelievable amount of time with there in the same dorm? So if you want the other people that he shares a dorm with. Sure, Seamus, Dean, Neville. So that kind of throws the idea out like, well, yeah, but he's living with the Dursleys. Well, he's kind of living with that Gryffindor common room. If you don't want to say Hermione because they are separated, fine. You could also say Hermione. How much times do they end up living in the borough for a huge chunk of the summer? Right. Grimmel Place. So, yeah. So, yeah. I I thought it was a good point by Molly that that is probably accurate. I, I think that's true. Um, you could point to some issues that Ron and Harry have had, um, but those are also uh, normal teenage yeah. issues. Again, well, I mean, again, there are insecurities that both of them already have. Right. And, you know, Hermione has her moments with Harry, too, but again, few, far between, not nearly as much. So The lack of also affects her less yes. than, yeah. So, it's... Um, so... It's an interesting idea. Yeah. I don't know how much weight that holds, though. Well, and I feel like, you know, whatever thing I sent to you that first came up with the idea, I'm sure it was mm-hmm. somebody trying to have a hot take and, like, put some different sort of spin on Harry being Sounds like me box. putting on a tinfoil hat sometimes. Yeah. That's yeah. Weird. Exactly. Um, so, I, I don't buy it either. I'm pretty sure when I sent it to you, I was one of the people that was already yelling and, like, outraged. <laughs> Um, I do like the point that Molly brings. Like, it's just a good, strong argument to kind of dismiss that giving. I just feel like it's trying to give the Dursleys an excuse. I feel it's worth a thought. Yeah. But then once you have the thought, you think of... All the reasons why it's not. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's intriguing. But how much does that really hold? So... Um, it's just, it is kind of interesting. Do you think maybe it's because there's another soul inside of Harry, like Harry's goodness and his own like dulling soul the just kind of outdoes whatever negative effect that piece of Voldemort soul could have had on other people? Um, the other argument can be made that the negative effect of the Horcrux is on Harry himself, and he's the only one feeling the negative effects. Specifically, in order of the thing. So I don't care. <laughs> You're just all over emo Harry on that. I hate it. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> no, but go continue with your thoughts no. because the negative effects are all on Harry. Uh, yes, it's I think. An intriguing I still think that the Horcrux is having a negative effect. It's just Harry's bearing the brunt of that, and yeah. he's really so when he has the locket, he's really getting a double dose yeah. of that, um, which can come out because obviously he doesn't hate. Well, but yeah, he's getting that double dose, and whenever he interacts with a like a Horcrux or anything else, it almost feels like it's doubly on him because those parts of the Boldy soul just want to. Which maybe that's why. That's the real reason he couldn't perform his Patronus. Remember when he was wearing the locket and the Dementors were in that one town he was going to find food for in Deathly Hallows, right. and he couldn't. 
yeah. put his Patronus out. And everybody was like, oh, why can't you do that? Why can't you do that? Isn't that even more impressive magic than, than with this piece of Voldemort inside him? He's still able to cast the strong Patronus. Oh, it's insanely always, impressive. Yeah. Oh, it's insanely impressive, which you know, we'll get to again. Obviously, yeah. This 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 book is... Uh, it's amazing. It's loaded. These first two chapters um, are introductory. Uh, it, it picks up, and it picks up quickly. But yeah, uh, the... the this chapter was kind of a, a took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> took a turn. For these two chapters being introductory, we sure did pull a lot out of them. We, d- we really did. Um, but I promise it picks up with the next chapter because it's the night bus. <laughs> which so is totally much different You'll think. Than, than this chapter. So, okay, I'm not going to be on the night bus chapter, so I would just like to throw out right now. Uh-oh. I hate the Jamaican head. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> that was that was your your aggressive hot take I, from Night okay. Bus. I, I could give you lots of hot takes about how much I hate the Prisoner of Azkaban movie and how much they ruined this amazing book, but that's all I'm going to say right now. Okay. Spoiler alert, uh, Molly will be on for the Night Bus and the Leaky Cauldron chapters, the ah, next two chapters. I love so, the Molly chapter. Yeah, and then I think Elizabeth is scheduled. We've had to schedule out some chapters because, uh, you know, my travel schedule. So, yay. But, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed this chapter because, um, you know, it is a good chapter. It's a lot of great writing from JK. It's just not a particularly happy one. No. So we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts on it. Interact with us. Uh, Anna continues to do a great job on Instagram. And Elizabeth does a great job on the Twitter. Thank you again to Drew for helping out with the intro and the break sounds and all of that audio sound tech stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, We will see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod. 